Hey, hey, a brand new episode of the Happy Productive Podcast is about to begin. It's time to be inspired by simple and actionable solutions for you and your business. If you're an established entrepreneur or just laying down the first brick of your future empire, the mantra is the same. We will flip any failure into a positive and use it to our advantage. This show is all about turning coal into diamonds with the right plan and mindset anything is possible. I'm Jennifer Dawn, your host, business coach, and founder of Best Planner Ever. And I'm here to help you achieve all your ambitious goals. Success is closer than you think. Let's do this. Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome to the show today. I'm so super excited. Mr. Blaine Bartlett is joining me today. And this, he is just a superstar, you guys. And the fact that he took time out of his busy day to be with us here today, I'm really, really excited about. And Blaine consults, advises, and coaches globally with leaders, executives, companies, and governments. He's an internationally recognized leadership development master. And through his work, he has personally delivered programs to and worked with more than 300,000 individuals, directly impacting more than one million people worldwide. He's the CEO of Avatar Resources, which is a global global leadership consultancy he founded in 1987. He's worked with entrepreneurs and leaders of many of the largest companies and organizations on the planet to change the way leadership is used to foster compassionate capitalism. He's the author of five books, including the number one international best-selling Bestseller, Compassionate Capitalism, A Journey to the Soul of Business. Blaine, welcome to the show. <laughs> Jennifer, thank you for having me on. It is an absolute pleasure. Oh, we're so excited to just dive in. But Blaine, I would love for you to just share a little bit of your story. You know, it's one thing to read a bio, but I just love to little, hear a little bit about your journey and what's, you know, what's brought you to where you are today. Uh, well, thank you for that opportunity. Uh, you know, the bios can get a little stilted. <laughs> I absolutely agree. I mean, I, I think if, <laughs> you know, when people get to know me, they, they begin to understand kind of my origin. And I grew up on a farm. And that origin informs a lot of what uh, I'm about in life. And what I mean by that specifically is nature was probably my first and best teacher, and it remains that today. I mean, we were talking just before the show started about where I'm at, and I'm up on an island uh, just north of uh, north northwest of Seattle, and I've got 11 acres here, and it's just nature. You know, it's not developed particularly so. I walk in nature a lot, and where I'm going with this has to do with my work in business. And nature is probably the only truly free market economy that exists. There are no artificial constraints. You know, the elements of nature just do what they do. There's no you know con- controls on whether that fruit tree can you know produce a fruit or not in that particular corner of the field. It if it's there, it just does it, and yeah. Whatever you know, critter comes along, you know, we'll, we'll pick it up and eat it or not. Um, but the idea of nature being that free market system informs a lot of the work I do because you know, early on in my career as I started uh, yeah, getting into business, uh, and my first job was when I was eight years old, skinning deer, my dad's uh, butcher shop. But I started looking at the toxicity that I was experiencing in most organizations. And most large organizations did seem to be toxic to the human spirit. It's kind of like, you know, you got to fit into this system. And if you don't fit in, you know, we're going to compress it and we're going to twist it until you comply and go along. 
human, the human spirit doesn't like boxes. <laughs> it doesn't like, spirit just in general doesn't like to be constrained. So that toxicity, I started examining it and going, okay, are there some different ways that businesses can actually operate? And that literally has informed all the work I've done since the early 1970s, as I started on this journey. And, th- and that goes back a few years. So, uh, but it's taken me on a pretty wild ride. I, you know, I've lived all over the world. I uh, went to school in Europe, business school in Europe. Uh, I've lived in Japan, lived in Australia, worked, uh, I'm an adjunct professor at Beijing University, which was interesting how that just, you know, that whole process began as they were emerging out of the constraints of communism and uh, as a social political structure and into a marketing, you know, kind of an environment, which doesn't have a social political component to it. it. It really is about how do we how do we go to market as a, as a country, and the, and that kind of goes back to Adam Smith's Wealth of Nations. Yeah. Now, you stop me when you want to here because I will go down this rabbit hole <laughs> and, and, and keep going. So I'll, yeah. I'll I'll just stop myself here. Yes. But yeah, I'm a grandfather. Uh, uh, I love to fish. I love the out of doors, nature. I'll just kind of circle back and close off of that. It's it is probably the greatest single teacher that I've ever encountered, and I love being able to reference nature as a way to run a business, and then we can see where that takes us. Yeah, I love this so much. And you said so many wonderful things. And one of them in particular that you mentioned the toxic nature of of, of a lot of businesses. And I had shared with you and, and for those listening, I met Blaine on um, Office Hours with David Meltzer. And that's where I first met Blaine. And I was just like, oh, I wonder if he'll come on the show. And he said yes. And it's absolutely wonderful. And I, you know, I, I told a quick story about how my first business was at eight. I was selling apples. You were yep. skinning deer and I was selling apples. <laughs> and I fell in love with this idea of my grandparents who were chiropractors and we would spend our summers there. And it was just this little, it was just a safe haven. I came from a very abusive childhood, but we would spend the summers with our grandparents. And that was the time when we were just loved and nurtured and they lived on in Arizona on a property that had about just over an acre and a half of all garden. And my grandfather had fruit trees and, you know, all kinds of, they grew everything. They just, everything you can imagine, they, they grew it there on this property, but it was just this beautiful mix of earning a living, healing people, being, you know, in life with each other, being with family and I, in my world, like work-life balance, that to me just felt like the most beautiful mix of work-life balance because they were working, they were caring for their family. It was all intermingled. There was really very few set boundaries around it. But then, you know, that's what I really grew up with and fell in love with. Later in my career, I did a stint in corporate America because I really loved being an entrepreneur. But, and I had had my own software company and I grew that and I was like, oh, I'm tired of software. I want to do something else. So I bought a blog home company (laughs) and then it was the year the real estate market died and I ended up having to like close it down. It was my first massive business failure. Um, And I went into corporate for about two and a half years and it was probably the, one of the most toxic, unpleasant, horrible experiences (laughs) of my life. And even though I had success there, the environment was just, I don't even know how to explain it. It was, it, I always, I always 
it feels like a viper pit. I don't know how to explain it. Like, you know, in Raiders of the Lost Ark, when he falls into the pit with all the snakes and he's just like, ah, it, that's kind of what it felt like to me. It just, the environment itself thrived on really toxic, harmful behavior and hurting people. And this was a big $54 million company. It wasn't a tiny business. It was a, a good sized company that really from the CEO down was just just a terrible place to be. And everybody was always so stressed out. And the day I left it, I just literally felt like I'd gotten out of jail. And the sad thing is, I think that there are a lot of companies like this. In fact, you very rarely hear in my work, I, I work with so many uh, you know business owners who are leaving corporate to start their own jobs. And so I, I hear a lot of this. And I would just love for you to speak to this as far as what you see in these toxic businesses, because obviously it drove you to to not just do business a different way, but to also teach so many others that there is a different, better way of doing business. Yeah, I, I love that opening. And I and I thank you for sharing that story. I mean, one of the things that intrigued me when we, we had you on the Office Hour show was your story about selling apples when you were eight. It was kind of, oh, a kindred spirit here. <laughs> so... The toxicity, yeah, it's it, it's interesting for me, and this is just kind of my take on on it from my perspective. That toxicity is organized around a notion that the universe is limited. Okay, there's a limited supply, a limited supply of money. I've got to get my market share, and if I've got to get market share, I've got to take it away from somebody else. And so, competition by definition is rooted in a mindset of scarcity. And scarcity is a contractive uh, energy. Yeah, people get fearful, they get defensive and protective, and you end up seeing walls being built, uh, you know, metaphorically, uh, turf battles begin to encroach into, the, I mean, all of this stuff. And the answer that most business owners will default to is, well, let's just get bigger. If we're bigger, we're not going to be as threatened. And there's a point where we move beyond what I would call human scale. And when it moves beyond human scale, it becomes very difficult to maintain a, a healthy connection to the work process, to my life. Yeah, I come in and, and it's, it's depersonalized. Yeah, everything seems to be about the business. Don't take it personally. It's just business. No, it's not. It's personal. <laughs> if it's not personal, it has no business being in my life. <laughs> and most people find that what they're doing out there is stuff that has no business being in their life. So, you know, in the work that I do with my clients, one of the things that I'll invite them to consider, particularly if they're looking to start a new business, is to first of all consider four questions. And these aren't new questions. I mean, I, I was uh, listening to something that uh, Deepak was, you know, Deepak Chopra was saying the other day, and I was kind of like, okay, this, he, he, he read my mind on this. You know, the first question is, is, is what you're going to be doing, is it needed? If it's not needed, don't do it. Now, that answer, you know, pretty quickly gets, uh, you know, answered in the affirmative. If an entrepreneur is looking, oh, there's a, there's a gap there, I can fill it. So there is a need. But that question needs to be answered. Is it needed? Is it helpful? Not only is it needed, but is the way that I'm going to go to market with what I'm going to market with, is it helpful? Then the next question, and this is the big one, does it bring joy? Does it create joy? Mm -hmm. Not just for the customers, but also for my suppliers, 
Does it create joy for the people that are working with me? And I don't mean giggles and grins and all that kind of stuff, but is it uplifting? Is it life affirming? And then the fourth question has to do with, um, is it healing? Is it healing? So where there's a gap, there's usually a wound that I'm trying to fill, but how I fill it makes a difference. So if I've got a, a yes to these four questions, is it needed? Is it helpful? Does it create joy? And is it healing? I've got a pretty good business model that I can yeah, actually you know, take and run with. And that's where the whole notion of compassionate capitalism comes into play. It, yeah, and you, you begin to operate your business from the perspective that I am connected. I'm connected to my vendors. I'm connected to my suppliers. I'm connected to fill in the blank because compassion is impossible to experience without connection. And this is where we you know, ends up with this toxicity. People are disconnected in many workplaces. So there is no compassion. And because there's no compassion, people feel used. They feel abused. I mean, all of that stuff comes in play. Business decisions are made, and it's the, the language is it's not personal, it's just business. Compassion, if it's in play, will bring personal back into the equation. So now that sounds altruistic as hell. It really does. It really sounds altruistic, but it's doable. It's doable. Mm -hmm. It just requires leaders, requires a different kind of leadership. Uh, agreed. And leaders who are willing to embrace something different than just the bottom line, you know, the bottom line, we all we always hear this as business owners that, you know, it's got to be a profitable business. And we've always got to be looking at the bottom line. And 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 I, you guys all know, I do a lot of work and profitability and cash flow and all this stuff with my clients, I do. Okay. And it's important to pay attention to those numbers, because we, we, we want to stay in business and continue our mission. And so it is important to be responsible financially. But Blaine, when I hear you talk about these concepts, it, for me, it just feels like it, everything like raises to a higher level. Yeah. It becomes so much more than just money. Not that money isn't a component. I always feel like money is the byproduct. Like when you're, when you're really focused on the higher purpose and that mission, the money will almost, almost take care of itself because it becomes that byproduct. And as business owners, we have to look at that bigger picture and not get, I almost think, sucked into so much of those like more toxic concepts of, you know, it's just, it's just got to be about the money because you're in business. The, the purpose of business in many people's mind is to make money. That's the purpose that most people think that they're going into business for. In the work that I do, and from my perspective, and this kind of goes back to nature again, the purpose of business is to enhance the likelihood of thriving on this planet. And if I'm doing that well, if I'm enhancing the likelihood of you thriving by purchasing my product or service, you will beat a path to my door. And I will not have to worry about the money side of it. Now, I'll have to be fiscally responsible in terms of how I manage it. Yeah. But... You, I will, yeah, you know, absolutely. If, if you feel like you're going to thrive as a consequence of purchasing my product, I mean, when I bought my, when I bought my first iPhone, I mean, <laughs> there was pain in texting. You know, the, I mean, if you remember going back to the early 1980 or 1990s, I guess it was to, to, to do a, a, a B, you had to hit the two key three times or something like that. It was kind of like, God, this is, I remember, yeah, the pain. So, <laughs> yeah. Is it needed? Is it helpful? Does it bring joy? And is it healing? Yes, in all four counts. And I felt like I was going to thrive. I had the possibility of 
capturing some time and, and doing it, you know, I mean, all kinds of stuff. But but that's the idea behind it. And it brought a smile to my I face. found this on the web. Oh, speaking of the iPhone, it's talking to me right now. <laughs> I found it on the web. <laughs> it's always listening. <laughs> yes, I, I, I love this so much. And so if you're a business owner and you're listening to this right now, and Blaine is probably like blowing your mind and making you think of things in a very different way, which is exactly what I want to have happen. A business owner who maybe is running their business and, you know, they're they're not answering these questions. They're not even thinking about these questions. They're more focused on the day-to-day, the grind. You know, there's a lot of business owners, they're stressed out, they're overwhelmed. They're not really loving their businesses. And so if you're that business owner, like what would you say to them as a first step to start to embrace some of these concepts that you're talking about here? Uh, Great question. I think in that scenario that you've just described, the first step is to step back and take a deep breath. Do I love what I'm doing? If I love what I'm doing, then I can step back in. If I don't love what I'm doing, what do I need to do to bring love back into my experience of what I'm doing? So I don't love what I'm doing because I've got employees that aren't doing what I want. Well, let's back that up a little bit and say, okay, how do I need to be in order to have a loving relationship with these, these difficult employees? It will always come back to me. My, my external world is an outpicturing of an internal state of mind. And I mean, I, I was running one of my masterclass uh, programs today. And one of the areas, you know, actually the lesson for the masterclass today was around uh, consciousness. Yeah. Yeah. The, the idea that consciousness is everything. Everything is born out of consciousness. And the specific assignment that I gave the folks today was observe your world, observe the people in your world, and not observe them from the perspective of objective data. What are they doing that you can see, touch, smell, you know, that kind of stuff. Observe them from the perspective of what's the story you're holding in your mind about who they are and what they're up to, because that story will manifest itself in their behavior, guaranteed. And if you want them to be different, if you want the circumstance to be different, start back here. How am I describing it? What's the story I'm making up? Because that story has an energetic dynamic to it, and that energy will get communicated the minute you enter the space. You don't have to say a word, but they're going to feel like, yeah, they're going to feel your sense of judgment. They're going to feel your sense of disappointment, of they have potential conflict. And they're going to feel all that before you ever open your mouth. And of course, they're going to respond defensively. They're going to respond you know, protectively. I mean, all of that stuff comes into play. There's nobody out there but me. That's one way that I work with this. There's nobody out there. There's no thing out there except me. It's all an outpicturing of my internal state of my, my internal consciousness. Now, that's a big elephant to chew on for most people. I mean, it really yeah. is. So, yeah, and the work I do is just kind of let's bite size this and just kind of play with it. What if? Yeah, let's take small little areas and just kind of play with it a little yeah. bit. Oh, I love this so much. It's so in alignment what we're up to right now as well. So we're running something called our 90 day. It's a breakthrough challenge where we work with a small group of business owners and we just taught the lesson. I just taught the lesson and we call it the truth mirror. You have to learn how to look inside the truth mirror because, and we do this exercise where 
when you look at your employees or the people outside of you and you identify some somebody you're complaining about, I mean, which is usually pretty easy for somebody to identify, you know, find somebody who you're complaining about, you know, my employee, I'm, I'm so angry at them because they never pay attention to the details. And so we take that and we reflect it back on ourselves and we change that into, I'm so angry at me because I never pay attention to the details. And then we sit with that truth and we have to find the truth in it. And sure, Enough. It just, you know, always happens that if you really sit with that long enough, you can find the truth in it and go, oh, wait a second. Uh, I'm not actually, I mean, sometimes, sometimes, but often it's like, I'm not really mad at them. I'm really seeing something in them I don't like in myself. And if I can reflect that back and see the truth of it, now I'm empowered to do something about it. Versus just being angry that, you know, all oh, my employees, they never do anything right. You know, we've, we've got to look at ourselves first. And I think that's exactly what you guys are working on as well of just that heightened awareness. And it, it's a really a different way of looking and, and thinking of things. And I find, and you may find this too, like a lot of people aren't always willing to look at themselves. Do you find that as well, that they aren't always wanting to like see the truth? <laughs> Or, yeah. or really know what's going on or, or, or be courageous enough to really go inside and, and look at themselves when we, when we talk about wanting to make change, you know, in, in our businesses, it's got to start with change within ourselves. Absolutely. I mean, you go back to Gandhi, be the change you want to see in the world. Um, I mean, it, it, is that, it's that simple and it's that difficult because to your point, it's a lot easier for, for most people to blame external circumstances for the experiences that they're having. If only that didn't happen or if only they would fill in the blank. Anytime I say to myself, if only they would or if only it was, by definition, I have abdicated responsibility for my experience and I've given the power to the other. By definition, they now control my destiny. They control my experience of life. And that's a no-win proposition. The mark, yeah, if only the economy was better. The economy is what the, it is what it is. How can I thrive in this economic in, you know, environment? There were more millionaires made during the Great Depression than any other time in American history. I mean, yeah, that's a statistic that is really sobering when you think about it. Opportunity is everywhere. If I have the agency and I claim the agency to actually do something. So to, to your point, Jennifer, right. I love that. Yeah, it's really difficult for many people to look at themselves and go. And, I, and, the, and the reason for that has to do with, I think, you know, this is kind of a giggle. How did you learn about responsibility? Oh, I would have to say for my grandparents. Uh-huh. Now, when did you ever hear the phrase, who's responsible for this when you were growing up? Of course. Of course, yeah. Yeah. Of course. My, I remember my yes. brother and I were, you know, you know wrestling horseplay in the, in the living room, and one of us one of us knocked over the lamp, and, I, and mom came in. Who's responsible for this? That notion of responsibility gets conflated real quickly in many people's minds with blame. So when you hear... Do you want to take responsibility for this initiative? Embedded in that is, are you willing to take the blame if it goes south? And most people subliminally, subjectively kind of go, I don't think so. So when you're asking people to take responsibility for their experience in life, 
there's this embedded emotional response, and it's almost reflexively knee-jerk. I don't want to take the blame for what I have in my life. And like, there is no blame in responsibility. You take the word apart, responsible, able to respond. All it says is I'm able to respond in this environment, responsible. It's neutral. And yeah, and, and this is one of the big unbundlings that needs to take place in many organizations. Yeah, who's responsible for this? Who's yeah, who's going to take accountability for this? And accountability and responsibility, yeah, kind of translate in people's minds to blame. Yeah, yeah, agree completely, a hundred percent. But you know, when you talk about taking responsibility and people who are willing to do it and not willing to do it, I really feel like responsibility and joy go hand in hand. Yep. Because if you're not willing to take responsibility, if you're not willing to like really own something and be like, yes, okay, I am willing to take the blame if this doesn't go right. Like I'm willing to step into that. Like, I don't know, how can you ever really fully step into your joy yep. if you're not willing to do that? Because it seems to me like, right, you're, you just end up living a life of, oh, don't look at me. It's not my fault. And I don't think that you can really fully experience joy if you're not willing to take responsibility. I could not agree with you more. That's, they, they go hand in hand. That, the idea of agency, to be able to actually direct the flow and the course and the nature of my life, that by definition taps into the soul of an individual. And I mean soul not in a religious sense. You know, the, the Greeks used to you know, I, you know, define soul as being that which gives life or energy to anything, whether it was a piece of art, whether it was a, a tree, whether it was the ocean, whether it was a sunset. Yeah, you, you tap into, you know, into that soul and aliveness is the consequence. When, when people are operating at that level and are connected to that experience of soulfulness, they are alive. They're joyful. I mean, you, you watch the Dalai Lama uh, in interviews. He and, he and Desmond Tutu were on a, a show that I saw just recently. Now, Desmond is gone, and I've got a beautiful photo, photograph of he and I together in a meeting. But they were giggling. Two of the most significant mm. religious figures on the planet were sitting like two little schoolboys giggling with each other. And they were alive. I mean, they were just alive. And the interviewer was going, this is serious. And they're going, yeah, we know it's serious. Ha, 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 ha. And <laughs> they're just having a ball with it. <laughs> you bring joy into, uh, or the possibility of joy into a business, and by definition, you've got aliveness. And when you've got aliveness, you've got creativity. When you've got creativity, innovation begins to occur. And that, you know, the imagination gets played with. Yeah. 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 Carl Jung said, uh, you know, the philosopher, yeah, without the play of the imagination, nothing of consequence has ever been produced. And it's that play of the imagination that gets quashed in toxic environments. It's not your job to think. Yeah. You know, we, we've got a strategy department that does that. So we'll, we'll let you know when we come up with the idea. I mean, <laughs> that's crazy. That's crazy. <laughs> People are incredibly creative. Yeah. They really are. They really if are. given the permission. Yeah, absolutely. And I can see, though, I really can't. I've been there myself. When your business is growing, you know, you might be financially, you know, heavily invested. You've hired people. You feel like you're, you know, you're hanging out there. You know, all these things are coming at you. You're trying to put out fires all day. I can, I can relate to, and I have seen this happen with my clients too, where it can be easy to feel like you've lost your soul. In fact, I've had many clients come to me and just say, Jen, this, the business has sucked my soul. 
(laughs) And that's one of the things, actually, I love those clients because I love helping them like step back into their joy and start to love their business again. And when they can start to love their business again, it starts to thrive in a whole new way. And I would just love to hear from you, like when you work with clients who come to you and they just say, Blaine, you know, this business has just, you know, sucked my soul dry. What do you, what do you do? Where, how, where do you start with them of helping them to kind of rediscover and find the joy in their business again? Great question. Uh, one of the very first things I do, you know, when I, when I, and, then, and I'll put this in the, in the domain of a coaching engagement with them, where I'm actually coaching them one-on-one. Uh, I'll bring them up to the island for two days, you know, get them out of their environment, you know, break state, yeah, you know, so that they you know, have a fresh perspective. They will sit on the deck here and, and look out at the ocean. You know, the ferry, you got to take a ferry to get here. So it's a 15-minute decompression ride. They leave everything behind. So there's a, a lot of ontological design that goes into that. And part of the, you know, I mentioned ontological design. I want to design an environment that designs them in return. So we will uh, sit long and talk much, really. Tell me how you think. Tell me what's up. You know, I want to understand how they're processing information. That's that's the first step in this. And then we start taking a look at, okay, environmentally, what are you going back into? What needs to shift that you can actually, in a fairly short order, shift from an environmental perspective? And it can be something as simple as change your chair out. I mean, because yeah, I'll ask sometimes, how comfortable is the chair mm-hmm. that you sit in? Well, it's not so comfortable. Get a new chair. That's the first thing I want you to do when you go back to the office. Get a new chair. Sit comfortably. Start designing the environment so it gives you a life-affirming, yes, I'm in the right place. Mm-hmm. And that's that's a subjective. I'm in the right place. It feels good to be here. Then we can start leveraging that. Right. It all starts with mindset. And that doesn't address the economic conditions. It doesn't address you know the employees or anything else. It's just starting with get yourself centered. And, and, and that centering yeah. is not centered in oh my God, it's horrible. That centering is in an expansive place that is you know, peaceful. You, know, you can kind of breathe here. Yeah. And if you can breathe here, you can breathe someplace yeah. else. So we'll begin to leverage that. So that, you know, kind of the first places that I, you know, that I would start with it. Yeah. I love that so much because I love that what you said was it started by removing them from their environment and putting them into a different environment, right? Mm -hmm. Because sometimes we get so caught up in all of the day-to-day that we need to step outside and go into a completely different, literal physical space where, and and I love on the island, you're out in nature, you're surrounded by nature. There's something about nature that's just so grounding and so comforting. And you start to be able to see more clearly than when you are, you know, at your desk and everybody's coming at you or in that, you know, work, busy, fast paced work environment. But I love that you said that. And one of the things that we do are retreats, where a couple times a year, we will go to different places. This year, we're going to Montana, we're going Mm -hmm. to Costa Rica. And the whole idea behind it is to get yeah, come on. <laughs> come to Costa Rica. Our Montana retreat, we com- we pair it with um, a Spartan race. So we actually, we do three days of coaching. So this year we'll go to Montana. We'll have three days of coaching. And then we all go out and we do a Spartan race together, um, which is obstacle course racing. And you're on a mountain. This It'll be in Montana. It'll be on a mountain. You'll go over obstacles. You're out in nature, which is a beautiful thing, but you're really challenging yourself. And so we love to do these because it just gets a business owner completely out of their normal day-to-day 
We, you know, they can think clearly. We surround them with support and resources. They learn all this new stuff. And then I make them go do a Spartan race and we put all that stuff into practice. And, you know, you want to talk about mindset? Everything starts with mindset. It absolutely does. And on a course like this, you will find so many times where your brain will say, I can't do this. I can't do this. And then you try. And even if you're not perfect, you still try and you overcome and you start to learn not to listen to that part of your brain that says you can't do something because you, you really prove to yourself, wait a second, I can actually do a lot more than I thought I could do. And then you, you take that back, you know, with you into the business. So I just love so much that you started with, you know, get out of your day to day, get out in nature, go somewhere else, surround yourself with somebody who can help you, you know, ground and heal and just see things from a different perspective. And it's almost like from that moment of clarity, you can now step back into your power. You can, you can now start to make those changes that you need to make versus sitting at your desk crying, what was me? Ah, you know, all this stuff is happening to me. But when you can step back into your power, you realize you can control these things. And it's just one thing at a time. Now you can just make a little change, a little change, a little change. But now you're in the driver's seat. Exactly. Essentially what I do and what you're describing is you interrupt a patterned way of behaving, a patterned way of thinking. And anytime you interrupt a pattern, it stops the process and you can insert something new. If you try to insert something new when a pattern is running, yeah. it, it, it will never take root because the pattern is so busy, you know, just kind of running itself. And there's no room for that new idea, yeah. that new behavior, that new thought to actually settle in. So interrupt the pattern. Agree completely. Blaine, one thing that you did that was just so impressive to me. So after you and I connected after the Dave Meltzer office hours, we connected on LinkedIn And you and Dave actually both did something that really, really impressed me. (laughs) And it was a simple little thing. But after we connected, you both said, please let me know what I could do to be in service to you. That doesn't happen that often, ever. And with somebody like yourself, who is clearly very, very successful, you've inspired and influenced so many people. I was so touched at just this little sentence that you wrote that said, please let me know what I could do for you to be in service to you. Tell me a little bit about that because you just don't see that these days with really very many people at all. And I would just love to hear where does that come from? That comes from walks in nature. (laughs) It really does. (laughs) When you look at nature, Jennifer, I mean, it's, it is my greatest teacher continues to be. It was back when I was a kid. There is nothing in nature that serves as a center of accumulation. Everything in nature is a center of distribution in some way, shape or form. Yeah. I mean, nature just like I go, there's no constraints. So nature, you know, the fruit tree bears fruit and the fruit drops no worry about recompense. You know, no worry about is it going to be used right. It's just kind of no. The fruit tree just kind of gives what it has. In business, most businesses find themselves, and most business leaders are focused on, and this is that competitive scarcity mindset. I want to be a center. I've got to accumulate centers of accumulation. I see myself as a center of distribution. That's how I pattern my life. And you know, what can I give away? I mean, I, I live in an abundant universe. I live in an I live an abundant life. What can I give? What can I give? Yeah, it'll be used or it won't be used, but it does me no good to hold on to it. 
So that's, you know, literally where that comes from. You know, when you read Science of Getting Rich by uh, Wallace Waddles, Waddles has got something, and I think it's chapter 11, being a uh, person of increase Mm -hmm. is the title of this uh, particular chapter, being a Mm -hmm. person of increase. And a person of increase leaves behind them that feeling of well-being. You know, through the passage, you know, my passage and, you know, through your space, did I uplift you? Did I leave you with something that you felt that was a nice interchange? That was a nice interaction. And there was no call for trading. It was just kind of like I left you feeling better. And this is, you know, for leaders, how do people feel about themselves when they're in your presence? If they don't feel uplifted, if they don't feel empowered, you're doing something that needs not be done because you're compromising your health, their health, and the health of your organization. How do people feel about themselves when, when they're yeah. in, in your presence? And that makes a big difference. So I'm, I'm sorting for that. You know, my wife and I both, you know, we, we actually organize our lives around that. And we have a ball with it. How can I be a center of uh, distribution? How can, I be a, how can I be a person of uplift today? I, I love this. I got to tell you, Blaine, such a breath of fresh air on LinkedIn. When just all day long, you're getting just hammered by people on LinkedIn, you know, connecting with you to sell you something just, you know, it's just relentless. And it's almost to the point where you're just like, I don't even want to connect with anybody on there. And when I saw your message on LinkedIn on this platform, which is a great platform, it was just such a breath of fresh air. And for a moment, I was just like, wow, imagine if every business owner you know, interacted on LinkedIn like that? How could I be a distribution network instead of everybody give me, give me, give me? Yeah, yeah. that's compassionate capitalism. It's, it's predicated on connection. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I love it. Tell us just a little bit. I know we're going to be out of time, Blaine. I can talk to you all night because I just love all this stuff so much. Tell me just a little bit or tell our audience just a little bit about the book. Okay. Yeah. Compassionate. Actually, you mentioned Dave. Dave and I co-wrote the book. We kind of joke about it. I had it about 85% done when I said, David, you got some stories. I need to have these stories in the book. Let's, let's, you know, finish this book off together. So we, you know, we co-wrote the book and and we, we truly did. The idea has to do with the way that capitalism is actually conducted today. I knew that there was a better model. Yeah, crony capitalism, and that's essentially what okay. we have today is crony capitalism, particularly on the large large scale. When Adam Smith wrote The Wealth of Nations in 1776, yeah, he talked about something that he referred to as enlightened hands of commerce, around enlightened self-interest, yeah, the, the invisible hands of commerce, enlightened mm-hmm. self-interest. I scratch your back, you scratch mine, because as a trading partner, I want you to be healthy. If you're not healthy, it's going to compromise my ability Mm -hmm. to be healthy. So that reciprocity was built into the notion of the wealth of nations. And you fast forward, and then it got really skewed when uh, we start looking at uh, rational self-interest, which was what um, Milton Friedman was talking about with the purpose of business is to make money. Uh, Ayn Rand talked about it Mm -hmm. specifically. She called capitalism a rationally self-interested model, economic model. Mm-hmm. You know, if you go back to Adam Smith, compassion was based on connection. I care about you. I care about your success because I feel connected. Mm-hmm. And that connection is actually fairly ecumenical. I mean, it, it really is fundamental to our thriving uh, potentially. 
So when I wrote the book, and David and I wrote the book, Compassionate Capitalism, it was a, a journey back to, the, you know, to that soul that gave life to that economic model that Adam Smith first wrote down. Uh, Raj Sisodia and John Mackey, who are both good friends of mine, and John founded uh, or co-founded Whole Foods. And uh, Raj uh, is a professor, uh, business professor at Babson University. They wrote a book called Conscious Capitalism, and that actually spawned the Conscious Capitalism mm-hmm. movement. Well, I had a you know, number of mm-hmm. conversations with both of them about there's there's something missing in Conscious Capitalism that doesn't get addressed explicitly, and it's compassion. Compassion is a behavioral analog to consciousness. How do I, it's one thing to be conscious and aware that there's ripples, that there are multiple stakeholders, not just shareholders. But compassion is how that gets translated Mm -hmm. into practical business process. Do I behave compassionately? Do I behave as if Mm -hmm. your success is critical to my success? I will take care of that. And that's kind of, how can I be of service? How can I be of service? You know, you ask your vendors that, you ask your suppliers that, you know, you ask your customers, how can I be of better service to you? That's all born out of connection. And it's a compassionate move. Mm. And if, if business is operated in that fashion, I think we'd see some things very differently in, in what we call reality. Wealth disparity would begin to yeah. shrink. You know, I mean, just a lot of social ills uh, that are present as a consequence of our uh, current economic models. I think. So that's, that's the thesis behind it. Yeah. I I love it so much. And the companies that you work with, where you help them to embrace this concept, I'm just really curious, like what, what do you see? What happens with the, within these companies that makes them different when they start to embrace this? Uh, Well, (laughs) uh, I remember I gave a talk at the Renaissance weekend a number of years ago. And this was when I was first beginning to put this model together. And it was to a group of Wall Street bankers. <laughs> and it, it, my mom used to have this uh, phrase. Yeah. Yeah. It was like a lead balloon in a pin, in a, in a pin factory. This idea did not float yes. well. I was going to say, <laughs> how'd that go, Blaine? Probably not so hot. <laughs> well, but it helped me refine the messaging a little bit here. Initially, and, and I've been doing this for a long time now, but initially, if I go back to the 80s, uh, when I first started really talking about this in some detail, uh, I'd get a lot of eye rolls. I mean, you know, this is, you know, boy, what are you smoking? Sort of a conversation. Um, yeah. yeah. And <laughs> more and more, I see more and more that business leaders, entrepreneurs, particularly millennials, are adapting and adopting this sensibility into the way that they do business. Yeah, Raj, he wrote, I hate him for this. He had the best book title I've ever seen. And I want this book title. It was a book that he wrote that was called Firms of Endearment. Firms of Endearment. Oh, that's a good one. And it was a... Yeah, that's a good one. It was a case study of, a. I think he had 14 companies that he'd identified that had love as a very specific operational value. Now, it was executed in different ways depending on the company. But he said, love will, yeah. And he compared it to Jim Collins' good to great. He compared it to the S&P um, index. These firms of endearment, as he called them, outperformed all of these other companies by not just a little bit. It was a huge differential. People were engaged, emotionally engaged. Because they were emotionally engaged, they were creative. They were able to 
handle adversity. They were, you know, resiliency was in place because love in the way, not, you know, I love you, but love in terms of care, I've got your back. What can I do for you? How can I be of service? All of those things, compassion, were built into the system. And it made a difference. It made a business case difference. And that's, you know, the, the, I mean, if there's documentation around compassionate capitalism working, this would be part of that whole process. Mm, I love this so much. And so how how do you find that you balance being compassionate and loving and then also still being able to turn a profit. Yeah. And here's why I asked this because you know a lot of myself I, I love to just give. I would just give all the live long day and never worry about money ever. But if I do that, I would be out of business. Let's let's face it, I would be out of business. Yeah. And so I have a lot of clients as well that you know they want to love, they want to give, um but they also need to balance that with still you know, staying in business and making money. And so where do you, how do you balance those two concepts together? Oh, I love that question uh, because it's, what it points to is what many business owners think of as their primary asset, which is their profit. Okay, that's, that's you know, put that mm-hmm. on the sheet. There's all kinds of other assets. Having the workplace be an inspiring workplace for, I mean, it's kind of like, yeah, if I'm an employer of choice, and I'm working uh, for you, what do I get to have, do, or be that I wouldn't get to have, do, or be by working for your competitor? And then your job as a leader Mm. or the manager is to ensure that by working for you, I have access to getting that thing that I personally say is valuable. It could be more time with my family. It could be, I mean, all kinds of different things. But if I'm doing that, I'm going to be not focusing on, I need to give you a bonus. I need to, you know, monetary. Yeah, there's a lot of non-fiscal assets, intellectual, heartfelt, societal, relational. I mean, not about relational currency up the wazoo. How can I give some of this away? Yeah, that sort of thing. So there's that piece of it. But the other thing, and this, I really think this is important, Jennifer. When people think of compassion, they think of soft and squishy. Mm. True compassion has a very hard edge to it. What's it in service of? And if my business model is so strong that yeah you know, I don't want to jeopardize it, I you know it puts me in a position of making some pretty hard choices. How I make those choices makes a difference. It makes a difference. I remember uh, you know Charles Schwab uh, back in 08, They had to lay a bunch of people off, and the way that they laid them off was they gave them stock options that were redeemable at any point in time, mm-hmm. and. It was significant stock options. And the bet was you're, you're taking, you know, you're, you drew the short straw here and we're going to have to you know, lay you off. But we're doing this so that the organization can not only survive, but eventually thrive. And your sacrifice, quote unquote, here will be you know, rewarded on the upside over here with these stock options. So if we're actually successful in turning this thing around, your stock options are going to be more than enough to compensate the monetary hit that you just took. So, I mean, you get creative in terms of how you actually do this. And I think that's a great example of how, you know, one company did a pretty good job of it. In the container store, you know, safe store. So. talking to the uh, founder of the, uh, the container store not too long ago. And Skip was talking about, or Kip was talking about, you know, the downturn. And in, in, I think it was in 08 also. Yeah. Instead of 
letting people go, the whole team came together and everybody took a reduction in salary and they started job sharing in different ways. They let nobody go. They let nobody go. Mm. And they got creative about how they kind of managed the resources that they had available to them. It was compassionate to do it that way. Yeah. Yeah. Business decision. Yeah. If you can weigh your business 5149 towards compassion, yeah. you're probably going to end up being okay. Yeah, I agree. I agree. You know, when when COVID hit, I'm and like you, I mean, all my clients are business owners. And so many of them saw their revenues. Many of them, their revenues just almost disappeared overnight. Mm -hmm. And it was a very, very scary time. And you know, for a lot of my clients, it was, well, Jen, we love you, but business coach, like we, we have to cut things. And I'm like, I'm your business coach. And I'm telling you right now, you got to cut a bunch of stuff um, to stay afloat. And that's what we did. But I said to all my clients, you know what, guys, we're in this together. And I comped coaching or greatly just, dis, dis, you know, discounted it for three to four months so that we could figure out strategies and what we needed to do to keep those businesses al alive. And the amazing thing is that that year, almost all my clients had record-breaking profit years. Yep. And whereas they went from, you know, literally being in tears, crying, really afraid, we're going to, I'm going to lose my business to having record-breaking profit years from just pivoting. And, but, you know, that was all about compassion. It was all about, forget the money, let's just all pull together and we're going to get through this. And we did. And so many of them actually came out so much better and so much stronger and products were developed that wouldn't have been developed. And I mean, no disrespect when I say that our joke internally was COVID is the gift that keeps on giving because we just kept finding more and more ways to yeah. take, you know, not advantage of the situation, but find opportunities in the situation to create new products and, and have better businesses and pull together. And it, it was actually ended up kind of being a good thing for <laughs> For oh. not except for all, I mean, no disrespect, obviously, no. to all the people who suffered no. from it, but anything that's out there, right? We can bring compassion into any situation. Absolutely. And what we think is horrible, you know, give it eight months and it may be the greatest gift you ever got. And that's the truth. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's kind of, we don't, we have such a finite window of time that we reference about what life is. And it's this window, it's a narrow window. It's an expansive universe and it's, it's, it's always growing. The nature of life is to grow. So even though there's a, you know, a catastrophe right now, the nature of life is to grow. I lost 98% of my book of business in 2020. January 2020, it just, February, I mean, it just, because <laughs> most of it was overseas. Yep. And it was yep. one of the most creative, the last two years, you know, 2020 you know, through 2022, creative, dynamic, restful. I mean, now I live on an mm -hmm. island, and, and, I, yeah. and I absolutely acknowledge that I, I'm probably uh, in better shape than a lot of people were going into this. But there was leveraging possibilities that could have, that could, could occur out of this. It's kind of like I've got time to write again, so I wrote a new book, got that mm -hmm. one, done. you know, developed a couple of different programs. We'd never been, uh, we never did anything on a virtual basis. It was you know, never, not, nothing was delivered digitally. Probably about eighty percent of my business is delivered mm -hmm. digitally now. And and I'm not getting on airplanes, which thank you, Lord. <laughs> I've got five and a thank half you. million miles. I don't need thank another. You. I don't need another air mile. No, <laughs> no, no. Oh man, that's amazing. That is amazing. So many of our clients did have to move more into the digital space. Mm -hmm. I had been in the digital space, so for me, it was 
it, that was not a shift I had to make. And I was so grateful that I was already there, but it helped me to help my clients, you know, also make that shift. But truly it, it was a period of time that that was our joke. It was just like the gift that kept giving because you just could keep getting more and more from it. If you were, you know, if you were able to actually see, see it for what it was. Yeah. 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 And, not, and not be, you know, awesome. Catastrophic, you know, catastrophizing, <laughs> whatever that word is. Awfulizing, a different way of putting it. Awfulizing. Yes. Oh my God. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God. It's so terrible. Yes, I know. Um, there was a lot of that going on too, but yeah. Oh, Blaine, I know we're out of time, but gosh, just a, such a wonderful conversation. I could just talk with you all day. I love all this work that you're doing. It's so in alignment with the work that we're doing. And it's just really nice when to meet a kindred spirit and, and uh, to get to know you better. And I know that our listeners are going to get so much, so much value from, from our time together today. Uh, it's been my pleasure. I love this conversation. And, you know, you set off, you know, you know before the show started about, Let's not an interview. Let's just have a conversation. And I love conversations. Life happens in conversations. So I think we've had a good shot uh, at having a good, good life right now. <laughs> I agree completely. All right. Really quickly to tell everybody where they can find you, where they can buy the book. BlaineBartlett.com is probably the easiest. Uh, I'm on all the social platforms. LinkedIn, you mentioned uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, and it's all Blaine Bartlett. The book, Compassionate Capitalism, uh, on my website, BlaineBartlett.com, there's a link uh, that you can go to, or you can go directly to Amazon. That's, you know, for a lot of people, probably the easiest, particularly if you're not uh, in the country. And if you go onto the website, there's also a free ebook on there, uh, Tapping into the Soul of Business, which uh, is uh, kind of a fun and interesting read. I've got a couple of models in there about some of the stuff that we've been talking about. Oh, I love that. I love the soul of business. So that's where you'd find it. Perfect. Thank you so much, Blaine, for being here with me today. I really appreciate it. Uh, Jennifer, absolutely my pleasure. Thank you very much for the opportunity. You're very welcome. All right, you guys, I know you could get so much from today's show. You know, soak it up, listen to it, listen to it again, and get out there and have a happy, productive day. Bye, guys. I hope you found today's episode of the Happy Productive Podcast inspiring. Every successful business is formed by a set of small, consistent, and attainable steps. If you want to learn more, come visit us at jenniferdawncoaching.com to take your next step and learn how to meet your business goals. On our website, you're going to find free resources along with links to the life-changing coaching programs that have transformed the lives of so many of our clients, including the Coaching Academy and our Unbreakable Retreats. Many of them started their journey by listening to this podcast podcast. That's it. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for our next episode. This is the She Leads Podcast Network.